Welcome to another Project Read 3 Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that God would use us to restore, rebuild, and renovate communities, and it's our hope that He'll use this sermon to do the same in your life as well. If you want to learn more about Project Read 3 Church or the Project Read 3 Hope Center, you can do so at projectre3.org. Challenges here, but um, especially I think in a lot of these other countries, food shortages, kids not able to eat um, or get education or get the basic things that they need. Um, one of the things that always strikes me too is like we'll do a birthday gift for um, our one of our sponsor kids, Kikuru. He's in Uganda and um, they will send you like a little uh, accounting and a thank you note of like what they were able to get. And each year what Kikuru ends up getting with the money we spend is a goat so for the family, um, which can provide so much for that family and resources. And then usually they'll get a sweet, like a little piece of candy or something like that. Um, I think it's just really humbling um, to know that so little could go so far. And as I said, being able to write to the kids and things, it's a really great experience. So if you are interested in doing that after the service, Josh will be in charge of the table and will be happy to answer any questions. Right, Josh? He's like, right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yes. Oh, please, yes. That and that is the thing. Thank you for adding that. So you get you get pictures as they grow up. So if you start when they're little, you can watch them um, grow and become young adults, which is a pretty amazing thing. And just see them grow in so many ways, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. So thank you. All right, well, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear God, I just thank you um, for everybody that you brought here today. Thank you for those that I know have been so busy, like Daniel preparing for the amazing recital, um, but he's still here leading worship. God, thank you for Hank, who despite power flicking off and everything that can go wrong is still um, back there making sure that this is as seamless as possible, God. I thank you for each person that is here um, live and each person that may be watching um, from somewhere else, God. And I just ask that you give me the words to share what um, needs to be shared today. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Mike asked me to be the guest speaker, I think most of you know me, me, but a few of you don't. I'm Mike's wife, Beth. Um, And so I started thinking about when he had told me the topic and all of this, um, I like to do some research because I'm kind of a nerd and I like facts and things like that. So um, in my research, one of the things I wanted to look at because it tied into what I'd be talking about today is why do people go to church? And like, what are people looking for in church? Because we're talking in this sermon series about unity, unity as believers. And we've talked about unity in prayer. We've talked about unity in our message. And so I wanted to know, like, what makes anybody even decide to go to church? So um, I did some research and the Pew Foundation is an organization that does like these massive surveys and gathers all this information. And they had a survey where they asked people, this question. Why do you go to church? What are you looking for in a church? Well, the most important factors, number one by far, was quality of the sermon. 77 to 87% of the people said that because they also had this divided up by age group. 
well, this was not good for me because I was like, if 77 to 87% of you leave after this Sunday, we're going to know that um, the quality of the sermon was what you were all here for. And um, nothing like a little pressure there, but quality of the sermon was by far what people look for the most. The next thing was feeling welcome by the leaders and the leadership in the church. So that was like 75 to 81% style of the worship services. Um, So I'm sure that goes into music and the way, you know, how liturgical you are and all of that. That was 71 to 78% location of the church, like where it's located. Um, Then was religious education for kids. And then friends and family at church was about 45 to 62%. And what was absolutely last, so remember, 77 to 87% of the people in different age groups said quality of sermon. Only 40 to 41% of the people said volunteer opportunities. So um, they also did a separate survey, like why choose to go to church? So that first one was like, what are you looking for? But then it was like, okay, well, what if you wake up every morning, why are you like, hey, I think I'll go to church today? So for that one, number one, to become closer to God, that's a good reason, Number two, so my kids will have a moral foundation. Number three, to make me a better person. Number four, to find comfort in times of sorrow. Um, And one thing that was striking to me is in both of these, you know, very last, only about 40% of the people cared about things that were outward focused, like about helping others or doing things to better God's creation, to better this world. And nowhere on the list of what made people go to church was anything about just using your unique gifts to make the world a better place or, you know, doing what God has called me to do. Um, It was very me-focused. It was very much like, what am I going to get from this experience? So then I started to think about, well, what does the Bible say about what church should be? And if you look in Acts 2, 42 through 47... Those verses say, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there was a devotion to teaching and to fellowship. So coming together in fellowship. The breaking of bread, so having meals together, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being served. So there's like, I think, a striking contrast between the surveys that we do and what we would say we want out of church versus what the Bible says the early church was created to be. And some of the things in that list are the things that we've already talked about, being unified in prayer, which Mike spoke about. Also being unified in message, in the apostles' teaching, which um, Tim spoke about last week. But what I wanted to really focus on today It's something that I think um, our church does really well at, but we can all continue to improve on. And that is being unified in our giving and our service and giving financially and giving of ourselves and looking outward at how we can serve others and serve God. So 
I would say, like, after looking at this and really meditating on this scripture, but also thinking about that survey, most people, I think, go into things thinking, you know, what am I looking for in church? And I really think we need to transform that question. And what people need to be asking themselves is, what is the church looking for in me? So instead of what am I looking for in the church, what is the church asking of me? What is God asking of me as I'm part of this body of believers in the church? And I think we're fortunate here because I've never seen a group of people that serve and give as much as this church. But I also think we can always continue to do more, to be better, to inspire others to give. And so I've thought about what are some of those things that hold us back? Like what keeps me from giving as much financially sometimes or from serving, just going out there and doing things for other people? What keeps me from being like the folks in the early church and selling all my possessions and just giving to anybody in need so that no one would be in need among us? Well, one of the things is that I think we have to start to overcome is a scarcity mindset. So here's what I mean by that. Um, I think, at least for me, I start a lot of things with like, I would love to do that, but I don't have enough time. Or I'd really like to go um, do this, but I don't have enough money. There's a lot of um, limiting that I do of myself. I, I look at things through a lens of scarcity, what I don't have enough of instead of abundance the abundance of time and financial resources and things that I do have. And when I was researching this, I found a really cool study that was performed in 1970 at Princeton. And this is a research study, and it fascinated me. And I actually read about this study. I wasn't even researching for this. It just came in my email for something else that I subscribed to. And in 1970, Princeton decided to do a research study, and they recruited the um, students that were in their seminary. So these are people who you would think are going to be really giving, loving, compassionate people because they are going to go into ministry. And so they brought these people there for a research study. And they told these um, seminary students, okay, we're going to need you to prepare to give a talk. And so they divided the um, students into groups and they said, we're going to have this one group read over um, this information and you're going to give a talk on like the benefits of a seminary education. And then you have group B over here, the second group, they gave them the story of the Good Samaritan where someone in the Bible stops to help someone in need. And then they told them, you're all going to be going across campus to these different locations to give this talk. And they sent them out on their way. So, when they did that, though, what the people didn't know is there was someone that was part of the research study that was there, and he was um, acting like he was injured or, you know, homeless or what have you. He was, stand, he was there along the path that they would take to get to where they were speaking, and he was kind of moaning in distress and kind of crunched over laying on the ground. And what they found were there were like three different buckets, essentially, of people. There were the people that hurried by so quickly that they didn't even seem to see this person that was moaning in distress. And then there were, there were people that kind of acknowledged, but went on their way. And then there was one group of what they called like the super helpers. And those were the people who stopped 
and helped him inside and would not leave until he got what he needed. So if you're like me and you read that, and I think what these people doing this study thought, they thought that once they looked at this, that they were going to see that the people who stopped were probably the people who had read the story of the Good Samaritan because they'd read this Bible verse and they were inspired, you know? So you think that's what's going to happen. But in fact, that really had nothing to do with what happened. The one factor that motivated the people that stopped and the people that didn't was time. They had told some of the people in the group that they were running late and that they had to hurry on by. Those people didn't stop. The people that stopped were the people that felt like they had some time. The people who were like, you've got time to get there. Just go on your way. You'll be there early. Those were the people that stopped. So why does that matter? Well, because if we're going through life and we're telling ourselves, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. We're always going to be in a hurry. And I think we're, if you compare 1970 to now, now I was born in 74, but I just don't remember being in as big of a hurry in the 70s and 80s as we are now. We're more hurried than ever. And so if we're telling ourselves we don't have enough time, we don't have enough resources, we're not going to see what's around us and we're not going to stop. So what can you do? So how can you change this? Well, one thing we have to do is we have to stop telling ourselves. We have to stop giving ourselves the message that we don't have enough. We have to, we are all, we all have the same number of hours in a day. And compared to most of the world, even if you feel like you don't have very much here, when you look at like the child whose family is getting one goat a year, we have an abundance beyond what most people can comprehend. So how can we change the thoughts? Well, I like to change my butts to ands. Not my butt, like my butt, but but, B-U-T to A-N-D, and. So I like to change it that way. And what I mean by that is a lot of times I will do that thing where I will say, I'd really like to do that, but. So how can I change that? So I'd like, I might say, I really wish I could volunteer at the Hope Center, but I don't have time because of work. Well, what if I change that to an and? I really would like to volunteer at the Hope Center, and I'm going to look at my calendar because I bet I can find an hour in my week that I can do it. Just changing that but to an and can help to change your mindset. So another thing that happens, I think one of the disservices we do, and we see this all the time, we focus so much on the big stuff, the massive donations of money, like the people who get the buildings named after them, you know, the people, the celebrities who give like so much money and everybody's like, oh my gosh, can you believe they gave that much? Or the people who maybe give their entire lives to service, the missionary who goes and lives in another country. And these things are great. So I'm not saying, but, but not all of us are called to do something big, to do one big event sometimes. And I think we forget that life's really made up sometimes of those small everyday decisions. And we can choose to serve in those little decisions we make throughout the day. And so one example from that, um, you know, is 
Jacob came home one night and he's working at Chick-fil-A and he told us a story and I thought that works, that just fits with what I'm trying to say. So basically, most of the time people don't give tips at Chick-fil-A, but he was working, I guess, the cash register and he said this little old lady came in and when she um, finished getting her food, she handed him a dollar and he's like, oh, you don't have to give me that or whatever, but she's like, no, she insisted. So she gave him that dollar. So he went on about his day and then um, is doing the cash register. And then he went outside where he was working like the drive through line. And he said that a man came up and asked if they could give him change for a $10 bill. And so Jacob asked the manager and they were like, no, we can't give change. And this guy was like, well, I just need to take the bus and the bus isn't going to give me change for a $10 bill. So this man needed to get somewhere. And Jacob was like, well, how much is the bus? And the guy was some, it was something like a dollar and 80 cents or something. And Jacob's like, well, how much do you have? And the guy opened his hand and he had some change. And Jacob had that dollar that that little lady had given him. And Jacob, like most of us, probably otherwise wouldn't be carrying a lot of cash. But this little lady gave him a dollar And then Jacob was able to give that dollar to that man so that he could get on that bus. Now, who knows where that man's going and who knows, you know, if this impacted the greater good of humanity. But I think what we forget, that little lady that gave Jacob a dollar tip would have no way of knowing that Jacob would then take that dollar and give it to someone so that he could get on that bus to go wherever he needs to go. It was only a dollar It's something we don't think about very much. But those little small things, those small decisions that we make every day are often the decisions that really matter in the service of God. Because if you think about it, most of our days are made up of the everyday. And when you looked at the early church, that was the thing in Acts. It wasn't, I mean, yes, there were miracles and things like that that they talked about. But a lot of what those verses talked about were things like doing simple things together. They got together and prayed together. They ate together. They served the needy together. They were doing the small everyday things in obedience. And that made all the difference in the early church. So another thing, and this is one that I fail really um, at, is trying to be present and aware. One of the things that the the scripture said in Acts was that they were filled with awe of the wonders of the apostles. To be filled with awe, you have to be at least aware of what's going on with you. So I can tell you all a story really quick, and I've told this story before, but I think it exhibits kind of how most of us live our lives. So I know y'all like to laugh at me, but I tend to sometimes be late, including for church. Um, Like today I got here at 10 o'clock and I thought that I was going to be like opening the doors and it'd be dark or something in here because I was just so early. But I tend to live my life kind of like back to back to back and I'm in meetings and a lot of times I'm on my phone and I'm walking by and I'm texting people and I'm trying to respond to that last email or I'm trying to take care of something for the kids, make a doctor's appointment while I'm responding to my boss. I'm trying to do it all at once. Well, one day when I was at work, um, we have this area, we call it the patient drop-off area. I work at a hospital and 